Okay, uh, I guess we should start. It's already 4.30 p.m. right now. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to this afternoon's Serious Security Seminar. Uh, thanks for all being here. Today, um, we are really pleased to have David Wang uh, joining us. So he's a, currently an associate professor and Dury House Fellow at DePaul University. Um, interestingly, he received his PhD from Krenert Graduate School of Management uh, at Purdue University in 2009, so 12 years ago. His research interests are information security management and IT management. His papers have appeared in several leading journals, including information system research, decision support systems, um, information and Management, Information System Journal, Journal of Accounting and Public Policy, Journal of Banking, Finance, and Journal of Information Systems, among others. His articles uh, have been downloaded more than 40,000 times through Science Direct. He was speaker at events hosted by the Institute of Internal Auditors and Institute of Management Accounts and panelists in cyber risk workshops hosted by the Federal Reserve Bank Charlotte. He was selected to be the TPMG James Morvick Professor in Residence in 2018. So David, thank you so much for joining us today. And we hope that you find uh, time to join us again, maybe in the following semesters in person. So it would be nice to see you at Purdue again. Please take it away. Yeah, thank you so much. And definitely hope I have a chance to go back to Purdue at some time in this future. Uh, so uh, again, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I'm David Wang, I'm from DePaul University. So today I'm going to talk about a, a working paper. It's called The Invisible Risks, uh, the Effect of Data Broker Registration on Data Brokers' Privacy Disclosure Quality and Data Breaches. So uh, just a little bit about me. So if you want to know more about me here, here's a quick summary. And yes, I got my PhD from Purdue in 2009 from Craner. Uh, my major was in MIS and I had a minor in accounting. And you can see I have a, I'm a certified public accountant and a certified internal auditor as well. Uh, there are some interesting things. Uh, I'm also doing several projects with companies uh, in the Chicago area. Uh, so just to bring more like the live professional experience to my classroom. And then as mentioned uh, earlier that I had a chance to give a talk with the Institute of Internal Auditors, Institute of Management Accountants. Uh, I will do another one with ISACA, the computer auditing group as well. And then I have a chance to do a one panel, panel session with the Federal Reserve Bank as well. And we're also doing training sessions for the company. So uh, you can see that it's kind of interesting when we try to link everything with the professional practices. Uh, so that's about me. And then for today, if you have uh, any question, please feel free to post it on the Q&A session. Feel free to use the chat uh, so we can answer your question. Uh, for data brokers, uh, we probably have seen a lot of news articles about data brokers in recent years, right? And actually, um, there's more uh, after we have the Facebook scandal, uh, probably three years ago. But every time when we look at it, uh, the question we may have is, so who are these data brokers? Uh, these are actually the, the, the 
players behind the scenes. So that's why we don't really know that they are not actually consumer interactive companies. So for example, if we go to the website, we know that, oh, the website is collecting our information. Uh, the website may be also sharing our information. But the thing that we don't know is that there might be another player behind the scene that is also trying to collect a lot of different pieces of information about us. So for example, so this is a nice figure that shows how the data broker collect data or purchase the data and how they use it. So for example, we may sign it to, to have those free accounts to play those games. We may have a free app that we want to use. And there comes with some tricks here. Uh, they may be sharing some information with the data brokers. Or we may register for free loyalty cards, free membership. They may also have the information or they may actually go through this purchasing behavior route so they can understand a lot about our purchasing activities. So in addition to all this kind of more like the private uh, type channel that they can collect information, they can also see a lot of public information about us, right? So for example, the, the information we posted or the profile we posted on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, they can see all those pieces of information. Or for example, in Illinois, you can, will be able to check, for example, you can find the property tax of a specific person, you know, the owner of the house. And of course you will have the address, you have the zip code. So you will be able to get all the demographic information of that area as well. And as you can see, the data broker can actually get all these pieces of information and sometimes they share with each other as well then they will be able to do, do a lot of different things. For example, is this person uh, expecting a baby or do they donate to the international charities or do they prefer a specific brand of cars, right? So they will know a lot of, uh, a lot of different things about us just by uh, collecting all these pieces of information. So uh, here are some examples of the types of data brokers. Uh, the marketing and the advertising ones are the obvious ones for sure. Uh, they know a lot about us, so this will be really helpful for them to do the direct marketing. They can be really specific about our purchasing activities. They, they will probably even know that the time that we need to repurchase all the toilet papers, probably, right? And then there are several other things, for example, uh, fraud detection and the risk mitigation part. Uh, these are mainly used, I think, for the financial institutions, uh, insurance companies, credit card companies, right? So for example, uh, when we try to apply for a loan, uh, they will probably need to verify our information. They need to know our, uh, the background histories. So it's not just about the credit rating checking. They probably want to verify all the pieces of information we provide to them. Right, so this will be a necessary step for them to, to perform the, the processes. And of course, this is part of their risk mitigation procedures, just to verify all the information are valid and they can rely on them for decision-making. And of course, uh, the data brokers can also be used for people search sites. Uh, so if you provide specific information, they will be able to match and then find, for example, someone that you probably know about 20 years ago. Okay, uh, so 
once they have all these pieces of information and based on the goal they are trying to achieve, there are different ways that they can make sure that the data is actually more useful than it looks like, right? So for example, once they have a chance to aggregate different pieces of information, something that may not look that useful, for example, we have the zip code, we have this more like the aggregate level information, once we're able to connect it to your personal level information, that can be pretty helpful to understand uh, the income level, the purchasing behavior, or the preferences, right? So they can actually enrich this data just by aggregating a lot of different data set from different dimensions, right? And they can also improve the data quality. For example, uh, if you see similar information from different dimensions or different sources, that information is probably quite reliable and for you to use for decision-making. And they also exchange with each other for valuable information. They can talk to other data brokers. Uh, they actually buy the data from other data brokers uh, so they can not just enrich them, but also try to make sure that they have all the valuable information they need. And of course, they can also indirectly obtain the information. For example, they may work with specific websites so they may collect all the, for example, shopping behavior, browsing behavior. Um, so they may have a, this more like a third party cookie when we try to browse browsing through the, the websites. So based on all these things they can do, this will be more useful for them to do the decision. Uh, here are several uh, popular data brokers. Axiom is probably the most famous one. Um, and this company actually allows their uh, allows each individual users to go to their website and type in your social security number, then you will be able to see what kind of information they have about yourself. Okay, uh, this company is huge. They have about consumer data analytics for this, just for marketing campaigns and for fraud detection. But we're going to see another figure. Actually, it knows a lot about us. Okay, uh, there's a second company. It's also about, uh, they provide information to business, to governments, but this is mainly about property information. So about the consumer, the financial information side. And the third one here, uh, they say that they have uh, the data for almost all the US household. Okay, so that's kind of scary actually. And the last one provide, they have the predictive scoring analytic services. This is also for marketers, financial service providers, online retailers. So what kind of information do they actually use? Uh, here's a nice uh, figure we found on the website. So this is from Axiom. Uh, you can see, I apologize, a little bit blurry when we try to extract it but you can see that it actually knows a lot about us, right? So for example, they know the actual number of purchases made with a Visa credit card in the last 24 months. They also know the 45 years of historical data on name changes, residential history. And of course, age, gender, education, employment, these are should be easy for them. They also know uh, whether you have the media usage, uh, the loans, your income level, uh, they know what kind of vehicle you have, they know the properties you have. And at the bottom of this figure, you can see uh, they know the likelihood whether someone in your household is expecting a baby or planning to adopt a child 
or filing tax in April. And on the right hand side, you can see um, they know that your religious um, preferences or tendencies, they know your health interest, right? Uh, they know your alcohol, tobacco interest as well. They also know your likelihood that someone is a heavy, heavy Facebook user, for example, or whether you are an influencer on social media, or you can be easily influenced by other people, right? They also know whether you have a formal banking relationship or you just don't have any major uh, medical insurances. So they know actually a lot about, the, about us. So that's why they can provide such information to people or to companies that may need it. Uh, you can see that they collect a lot of data and they share the data about us. So uh, although they're, they're more like the invisible players in the market, actually they have been noticed by the government or Federal Trade Commission starting from probably 2012, 2013, around that time. Here are two articles about um, uh, posted by uh, about the Federal Trade Commission and their per uh, perceptions about the, um, the data brokers. If you have a chance to go through them, you can see that one of the biggest issue they have is transparency. It seems that we don't really know who they are. Uh, we don't really know what kind of data they are collecting. And we don't know how they share or how they sell the data to other people or who these buyers are. We don't really know that, right? That's one concern. And another big concern is that, as we mentioned, that uh, for some businesses, this kind of service is required and it's actually a good thing, right? So for example, uh, if we would try to apply for the loan, they can actually help us verify the information. But for Federal Trade Commission, their concern is more like that. What happens if this data broker has a wrong data, right? So the information is incorrect and it will actually affect all the individuals dramatically. So they have a concern about whether the individuals are able to actually go to them and try to fix it, right? So uh, you can see that nowadays we're able to fix or try to submit a request to change the data set uh, posted or collected by the, the credit companies or the, the Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax, right? So these are all come from this uh, 2012 or 2013 discussion with the Federal Trade Commission. And it's not just about this Federal Trade Commission. We can see there are tons of efforts uh, from the regulator's perspective. So for example, uh, US Government Accountability Office, uh, they say that the data brokers should report on the practices and then uh, the, the legislators should consider how we can actually uh, push them to be more transparent, right? And the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science and Transportation, they have also the similar discussion about how the data brokers collect, compile, and sell customer information. And in 2014, you will see that uh, the goal is also about improve the transparency. And the last one is about whether the, this company should actually make all this collected information available just for the consumers, okay? And recent years, now we start to see something that is quite solid. Uh, so Vermont Attorney General's office, there's a new data broker law. Uh, it's, it was effected on January 1st, 2019. 
So if you meet uh, the definition of the law, you are required to register within Vermont's Attorney General's office. And then they say that you need to maintain certain minimum data security standards. Because as you can see, this is more like a jackpot for people who want to obtain all these pieces of information, right? Uh, here's a screenshots uh, of the registration. You can also go to Vermont's Attorney General's office, then you will be able to see all this list. I think there are more than 300 registered data brokers on their websites right now. And then for each one, you can click on their names, then you will be able to see their practices, their information. For example, this is Axiom. Uh, they ask a lot of questions, for example, uh, whether you have any opt-out mechanisms. So they say yes, uh, people can go to their website and you can opt-out so they won't be able to collect your information. And uh, down here it says that uh, if the opt-out only uh, specific to a specific type of activities, which ones? Uh, they say that the opt-out is the marketing part. Okay, and then uh, they, they do not have this opt-out processes if this is for the fraud detection part. And is there a question here? Uh, has there, uh, we got a question here saying that have there been any laws preventing foreign entities from owning any part of the US-based data brokers? Uh, that's a question. Uh, I don't know the answer. That's a really good question. Uh, we may be able to dig further. That will be an interesting thing to, to figure out, right? Okay. Uh, so it's not just about the opt-out part. Uh, they also ask a lot, a lot about the data collection, the sales activities, uh, or what kind of purchaser credentialing processes. So do they actually verify who is purchasing the data? So they actually verify whether this is a, legit, a legitimate business before they can sell it. Uh, they also talk about uh, the data, pro, uh, data collection practices, databases, sales activities, or the policies for miners, right? Um, so they say that they do not really disclose any identifiable data about the miners, but the miner is actually part of their overall household uh, information collection processes. And then they, do they have any uh, to provide any concerning uh, about the data collection processes? And you can see what kind of things they do. For example, they review the suppliers. Um, they actually have some processes to ensure the data collection processes is good. Uh, so if you're interested in this, you can actually go to the registration site. Then you will be able to see uh, many of these kind of interesting data collection procedures. Uh, many of them are private, so uh, it will be nice if you can understand more about what they are doing with the data set. Uh, for, for Vermont Attorney General's office, this is how they define a data broker. They say that a data broker is a business or just part of the business, right? It's a unit or it's just part of it, but no matter it's separately or together, that knowingly collects and sells. So you have to do two things. You need to collect it and you need to sell it. Uh, for lots of companies, if the only thing they do is collect or buy the data set, they are not considered as a data broker based on this definition, right? So they sell to the third parties uh, that broker personal information of a consumer with whom the business does not have a direct relationship. 
Um, another thing is that uh, this cannot have be with the, the business that have a direct relationship. If their customer is not really broker, uh, you just need to have your customer's information. So that, that would be a totally different context. And in addition to Vermont, uh, California uh, Attorney General's Office, they are also doing similar things just one year after. So they also have a regulation that will be, that's effected on January 1st, 2020. It's really similar uh, to Vermont's requirements. So they say that the data brokers based on this regulation, um, they need to disclose the name, their physical information, primary email address, internet, website addresses. And then they need to talk about all these data collection practices. For Vermont, if you fail to comply, uh, there's a fine about $50 per day. And then for the whole year, it's probably $10,000. Uh, for California, it's more like $100 per day, plus all the costs that may be associated with all kinds of lawsuits that you are facing, right? So there are some uh, non-compliance penalties as well. So this is uh, another screenshot from the California Attorney General's office. Uh, you can take a look at it. So they talk a lot about um, the California Consumer Privacy Act, how they, how they meet it, uh, how they collect the information as well. So because of all this data broker activities and all these regulations, so in this study, we're interested in these two things here. So we know that there's a compliance component here that are forcing um, this data brokers to, to actually be more transparent or at least to disclose what they're doing, right? But we want to see that, is it the case or actually they just try to disclose everything on the website, but we don't see any activities that may lead to more transparent behavior. And another thing that we're interested in is that now we have the compliance. Now we have this, all these disclosure requirements. Uh, do we see fewer breaches or do we see fewer incidents that this information can be found, for example, on the dark web, right? These are the breaches and we really care about these kind of things. So basically our focus is more like that. Now we know the compliance requirements, is it effective? what kind of things we have already observed uh, based on these requirements after the, the past or the effective, uh, the enact of the, 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 the regulations. So in this case, we may have some uh, policy suggestions or we may be able to provide additional observations uh, when the regulators are focusing on this issue. So how can we do that? Uh, obviously we need to find out the data brokers. So these are the steps we have been taking. Uh, this is actually an ongoing process. Uh, I'll explain why it is ongoing. So we have the data brokers from Vermont and California's registration list. There's a huge overlapping portion of them. It's basically the same as you can expect that they don't really collect the information just from one state. It's probably everywhere, right? That's why um, there's a huge portion of them are exactly the same. Then we extract the business descriptions from these registered data brokers. So as you can see here on the right-hand side of the slides, this is about Refinitiv, right? They say that they serve more than 40,000 institutions across 190 countries. So they provide the information uh, to the global financial market. 
Okay, so we know that this is a description of the company and we do the same thing for all the brokers that we are able to find and then the brokers with the descriptions that we can find. Then we use this business descriptions to find a control group. So that means we use the descriptions to find the companies that are not currently registered uh, through Vermont or California State uh, Attorney General's Office, but they have really similar business descriptions, right? So to those that they are probably doing something similar, but they probably they are not meeting the requirements of these two regulations. Based on this process, uh, we have 37 registered uh, data brokers. Uh, we lose a lot of observations because we want to have their financial information and most of them are private. Uh, so that's why we only have 37 at this moment. But we just noticed that there is some private company database that we may be able to have access to. So in that case, we can actually expand it a little bit more. Then based on this uh, description matching processes, uh, we noticed that uh, there are several companies from this ACSC code 7374. Uh, these two industry groups have about 104 of them that we can use as the control group, meaning they have really similar uh, business descriptions with the registered data brokers. So that's step one. Step two. Uh, not yet, step two, then, then based on the business descriptions, uh, we are able to put them into different groups. And you can see the biggest group is about background check, right? About the personal, about the business. And of course, there are a lot of different things about marketing screening, asset pricing, uh, just the, the, the theme of their business descriptions. So step two, uh, based on the business descriptions and based on their company's website, we actually go there and we extract their privacy policies and their, their textual contents. Um, so you may be able to see a really tiny screenshots we have here. So we will be able to find their privacy statement. Um, so from here and from uh, the website information, uh, the key thing we focus on is on that, uh, what kind of data collection and sharing activities these companies have, or these companies are disclosing to the public, right? So it can be, we are doing this, our algorithm is trying to do this, or for example, Experian is collecting this information. Uh, the verb we are looking for can be, we're collecting the information, we sell it, or we share it with our partners, or we store it, for example, for a 10, 10 year period. Uh, these are the things we are looking for. And the object can be a piece of information, can be a specific consumer behavior, uh, can be type of cookies, right? So we will be able to know that, oh, these are the things they are collecting, they are selling, so different pieces of cost or all kinds of descriptions they may have. Then based on the information collected and from the description, we will be able to do a clustering. So we put them into different groups and the purpose is that we want to see that do they mainly rely on the public domain information that means if i have the information everyone has it right everyone has access to the similar information then that's not really a big thing right but if someone has something that is really unique 
they would probably need to take another look or when we try to understand what we're doing. And interestingly, this is what we found. For the registered company, uh, a high proportion, uh, this is more than 80% of them, they have all this publicly available data. That means everyone has similar access, everyone has access to a similar set of data. And a tiny portion of it, 18% roughly, or 19%, they rely on this kind of unique data set. So this data broker has something that people may not have. This is for the register part. But here's the surprising part. For the non-registered company that we found based on the business description, a tiny portion, 30 something, almost 40% of them rely on this publicly available data, but they mainly rely on this kind of their unique data set. That is quite different from everyone else. But this group of people, this group of business are not registered or not under the regulation or the public's monitoring processes. Okay, uh, so that's why we think this is kind of interesting. Then based on all this information, now we have the brokers, uh, the non-registered brokers, we know their disclosure policies, we know what kind of data they are relying on for their uh, decision making. And the last thing will be, uh, are we going to see any consequences, any security breaches? Uh, we rely on the, the dark web information. Uh, my co-authors at Rutgers University, they have a contract with a third-party dark web monitoring firm. So that company basically works with the, the law enforcement agencies. And they have a contract with them uh, to understand more about the dark web activities and all different things here. So we rely on this relationship and see what kind, what kind of information we can find of the data brokers through the dark web, right? So if we can see several posts, for example, it's under the hacker information and if we can see the post, then we consider that as a breach. And interestingly, we noticed that it's not just about the broker itself or just the breached company itself. Sometimes we can see that the information leakage is across all the players. For example, here's an, uh, the Equifax breach, right? That's in 2018, probably. They say that there were more than 575 million settlements and they provide the free critical monitoring services. And they say that you can learn more about their actions after the breach. When we search for this breach, we notice that the information we can find through the dark web is not just from Equifax. We can see the same information from TransUnion and Experian. So we notice that, hey, it's not just a bridge from, there may be some co-leakages or this kind of co-occurrence thing when we try to search for the hacker information on the dark web, right? So that's why uh, we try to define this breach, uh, not just about the piece of post uh, by the hackers from the dark web, but it's also about that when there's a breach and it contains information from multiple sources, or we call it the co-occurrence, uh, the number of posts with multiple firms, we also count it, right? So the Equifax leaked database, 
we can see the credit score and we see three different sources. So in this case, we count it as one, there's a leakage or there's a co-occurrence here. So here are several results. Uh, the one is that we try to understand whether the registration actually help uh, the companies be more transparent. Do they actually talk more about their collection, data collection processes? And this is the findings. Uh, we control for the company's revenue uh, because when it's bigger, sometimes uh, it may be the target, but sometimes you probably have a better control mechanism or the environment of uh, the state. Uh, whether it's part of Vermont and California because of the regulation, they may be more careful. Uh, the funding status, uh, whether the company is going through the IPO processes, whether it's a public traded company, basically, uh, if it's public traded because we have all these uh, control mechanisms or governance that needs to be reviewed, so the behavior may be different, right? And whether they're in the register group or not in the register group, what kind of data collection group they are in, right? Okay, so the first uh, variable that we have the interest in is the register or not. And we notice that register brokers disclose, uh, disclose more. So that's good to us, right? So the regulation may actually help them to actually disclose more information. But uh, compared to the non-registered companies, when they have more unique data, they have fewer disclosures. So you may remember that we try to find out that whether they have similar data set compared to their peers or they have something unique. So here we found out that if they have something unique, they disclose less here. And how about the information leakage, right? Uh, if they dis the non-registered data brokers actually have higher information leakage. So the registration hopefully is playing a role here, right? And for the registered brokers, when the disclosure is high, the leakage is smaller. So this fits into the traditional uh, governance literature saying that if we have these monetary functions, we will be able to push the company to disclose more and because they talk more and because of this external monitoring, prop, monitoring activities, they will be more careful. We do have that, right? So the leakage is smaller. But uh, how about this uh, information a leakage, just account and the data uniqueness, right? Uh, we notice that again, if you haven't registered yet, uh, they will have higher information leakage. So it's the same thing. But how about the data uniqueness? Uh, we notice that the registered data broker may show higher information leakage on the unique data set, right? That's because it's the same argument. When they have the unique data set, they talk less to the public. So this part is more like still the black box thing. And that this portion is actually that may lead to the leakage in the future. And the last part will be uh, the information leakage about the co-occurrence, right? Do we actually create this more like a systemic uh, bridge across all the competitors or all the related parties? And we show that uh, the registered data broker actually have a higher information co-leakage, right? And then if it's not registered, uh, they have a higher co-leakage just on the unique data set. So uh, these are the things we have been working on. So overall, we show that this kind of registration effect is still debatable. Though we like that when the registration can actually push them to disclose more 
and the registration can actually push them to actually to have fewer um, information leakage. But it's not really the case, right? If you have this unique data, you may have all these leakages, and then you may actually have a lot of different things that may be affect across the board, and then just everyone got hit automatically. Um, so that's the, the impact is still not clear here, uh, but here are some uh, additional things that we, we can summarize here. We noticed that for the non-registered data brokers, we do see more breaches for them through the dark web. And then they actually, since they are not regulated or they are not really monitored from the public's perspective, uh, their data collection activities uh, it's more like blurry or really vague. They do not really try to explain how they're trying to collect the information, how they sell it or how they share it, right? Uh, for the registered data broker, well, it's good because we don't really find um, that huge amount of breaches through the dark web. But if they have some unique data sets they're having, uh, that's the portion that can be leaked out. But that's actually concerning because if everyone has it, then that's probably not a big issue. But if you are leaking all this unique information, then that can cause a bigger problem here. Uh, the last thing is that uh, we noticed that the registered data broker are more prone to this kind of co-leakage because of these sharing activities, right? So they share across the board with their other data brokers. And this kind of sharing activities can cause a bigger problem when there's a breach. And then we can actually find those pieces of information through the dark web. And then we also observe that uh, because this kind of non-registered data broker, they actually have a huge, a relatively bigger weight of this unique data set. And then when they have a breach, we actually see a significantly higher amount of this co-leakage through the dark web. So overall, you can see that uh, this kind of a data broker registration is kind of interesting and in how you may affect the actual activities uh, or the disclosure activities and the consequences. So in our next step will be, now we know the, uh, the disclosing activities. Now we know that the actual breaches, are we able to capture their actual data sharing uh, or data collecting activities through cookies with other companies. So that will be our next step. And well, I'm really good. I, I used 40 minutes and as planned. Uh, we have about 10 minutes for question and answers. Um, so if you have anything, uh, just let us know. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, David. It was a uh, super interesting uh, talk. Thank it you. feels like, uh, I mean, this work can be submitted to a, any security or privacy conference. Oh, yes. <laughs> Seriously. So I was taking all the time notes. Um, I think data brokers needs further investigation. I'm pretty sure there are lots of interesting things that we can find. Yes. But I, um, I think the most important thing is accessing the data or confirming that they are really collecting this data somehow, right? Yes, right. So I guess uh, currently you are just dependent on their publicly available business plans. Yes, correct. Okay. For the, I, for the cookies, uh, 
well, that's our plan to, to actually collect the cookies through different websites and see who is actually behind all these third-party cookies. So that will be the actual data collecting behavior, right? Okay. So <clears throat> one quick question that I would like to ask is, if you like look at in detail the regulations or laws um, or to see whether they kind of violate these regulations somehow for their benefits? Yes. Yep, that's a really good question. So uh, we were talking about this because when we see that, how come that uh, many companies that have similar business descriptions, but they are not really part of the the scope of the regulation, right? So you'll be interesting to see that what kind of actions they are taking or what kind of activities they have and how come that they don't need to be registered through the attorney general's office. Then that will be itself is already an interesting comparison. Yes. All right, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I think we have one question in q and So the uh, the question is, do you know to what extent LA is using some of those data brokers? Also, have you looked at uh, what the exposure to international state actor is? Well, that's a good question. Um, no, not yet. Uh, there are some challenges about identifying the players within this whole market. Uh, currently, we do this manually. Uh, because we don't we don't really know what's the population or actually the players in the market yet right so if we're able to actually have a network of all the data brokers how they share with each other no matter it's domestically or internationally that would be excellent uh, thank you and actually uh i, I do have a follow-up comment um part of the research uh I, i'm doing here is uh around trying to measure or figure out how to quantify the levels at which uh, bad guys are looking at security researchers, um, which involves a lot of uh, techniques around managing the data, the data exhaust of a user and also creating some traps where I can basically measure uh, people accessing those. So there may be some future work which in, maybe we can collaborate. Uh, I was also curious, do you work with John Christoph by chance? Uh, no, no. Okay, because he's at the poll right now uh, yes. and he's finishing he, his PhD. He's in CDM, yes. Yeah, he's in computer yeah. science. Yes, correct. Yeah, we can please send me an email. We can have another meeting after after the talk. I'll do, definitely. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, yeah, so this is really cool. Uh, and I'm not aware of any research work in security conferences about this. Probably one reason is accessing the data or mm. proving that your findings are correct might be difficult. Yes, uh, right. that's correct. Yeah. Otherwise, there's a there uh, there's a IEEE security and privacy one, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That would be a really good outlet. Yes. So I have uh, one PhD student uh, right now looking at some social aspects of technology mm. or privacy concerns. So maybe I can also, you know, like uh, ask him to look this problem in detail. Yes, of course. And we can chat uh, after the sure. talk as well. Sure, sure. Sure. I will reach you out 100%. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. All right. Um,
I guess we don't have any other questions. Uh, so David, thank you so much again for this interesting talk. I learned a lot and I hope that we will see you in person at Purdue hopefully soon. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope I have, uh, have another chance to visit Purdue soon. Yes. All right, everyone, uh, have a good afternoon. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Bye.